Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Gay Anarchist Yoga and Erotic Cooking Association podcast. I'm Ro, and this week we're taking a long overdue look at the feel-good high school romance of the decade, Heartstopper. Heartstopper is a Netflix series based on a graphic novel slash webcomic about a nerd and a jock who are in love. And joining me this week are some friends of mine who just can't wait to tell you about their own unusual love stories. First up, their real-life boyfriend is from France, which means that he obviously hasn't listened to this podcast, or else he'd know about NATO's terrible French accent. It's NATO! Hi, I'm Nato Kitsch, and let me just tell you, as much as I love my partner, I felt I just met someone that I just fell madly in love with. It's a giant bottle of Jurassic World Dominion Darkberry Dr. Pepper, and talk about a tall glass of water. <laughs> but Nato, it's not water, it's Jurassic World Darkberry Dr. Pepper. I'm sure it has water in it. Um, and you can find me soon on twitch.tv slash Disclaimer, this podcast is not sponsored by Jurassic World Darkberry Dr. Pepper. Especially yes. since... But please do especially send me all of it. it, it it's, it's leaving stores on the 31st, so I have to stock up as much as I can. They don't have them where I am! I'm so sad. Come to Indiscriminate Town, New Mexico. I have plenty. <laughs> yeah, NATO's like doomsday hoarding. <laughs> Dark Perry, Dr. Pepper. Coming up next, they did a whole public promposal just to invite their crunch to London. <laughs> Sorry, let me start over. Coming up next, they did a whole public promposal just to invite their crush to lunch on Saturday. Please welcome back to the podcast, Christ. Hi, y'all. Thank you. I'm great. But let me introduce you to my one true life romantic partner. The giant pile of squishmallows on the corner of my bed. Relatable. <laughs> this content is relatable. <laughs> I think this is I think this also counts as queer bashing. <laughs> I mean, I'm literally hugging one of them right now. <laughs> All right, with, <laughs> with intros out of the way, let's get into it. Heartstopper is the story of Charlie, an English teen at an all-boys high school who was outed the year before. He has a little thing for Nick, the boy who sits next to him in homeroom, and they seem to be hitting it off pretty well. When Nick discovers Charlie has a gift for running super fast and stuff, he approaches Charlie and asks him, On a date? <laughs> Just kidding. He asks him to join the rugby team. The first season also follows the story of Tao, Charlie's best friend, who has a crush on a trans girl and former class name classmate named Elle, and Tara and Darcy, Elle's new girl school friends and resident lesbians. Needless to say, if you're looking for representation in an online series, Heartstopper has plenty. Uh, before I open general discussion, uh, I do want to mention again that this series is based on a graphic novel-slash-webcomic named Heartstopper by Alice Oseman. The first series of Heartstopper covers the first three chapters, plus a little bit of change. 
If you are interested, please go read it. It is definitely worth your time and your money. It is available in book form, and it is available on the web at Tapas and Webtoons. Discussion time! Obviously, spoilers ahead, so tread carefully. First off, as always, I want to start with general impressions. What did you think? I've seen it uh, five times now, and literally every single time I watch it, I get incredibly emotionally invested in it, and by the end of the last episode, I am bawling. Just, they're so cute and adorable. But on top of that, I think stand out for me is Elle. Like, her character is the representation I needed to see when I was that age, and I wish I had that representation. So it's so good to see it now. I would love to continue that conversation, um, especially concerning Elle. But first off, uh, Nader, what did you think? I think Elle is kick-ass, yeah. Elle's probably my favorite character. I know I was reading your notes, and uh, you said that you tend to be super critical when it comes to uh, boys' love series. Can you elaborate a little bit on that? I I think I've proven with this podcast series that I tend to be critical about everything, not just boys' loves. And I think that's probably more along the line of uh, what I meant in my notes is just like, you know... Boys love is supposed to be, you know, kind of like low stakes, romantic, uh, fluff. Yeah, yeah, fluff. It, it it's very much there for like the ah ooh gushy gushy kind of you know feeling, and that is completely fine. And there are boy love series like Sodas that I absolutely love and am obsessed with to an extent. Um, but like I don't know, I I feel like. I gave this. I watched the series twice. One with the expectation that it was, as a lot of people said, like this one of the greatest, you know, peer series of all times. And I just was really unimpressed with it. But then when I watched it with the expectations of Boy Love uh, series, I didn't so much like fall in love with it. But like I really appreciate everything it has to offer. Why do you feel like the bar for you, at least, is set so high when it comes to? Uh, BL or queer romance. I, I think it's series. set high for pretty much every genre, to be honest. Because like, you you watch any like genre of movie, and you're gonna take the things that you remember most, remember most about it, and apply it to the next one in that genre. The next, you know, the next western. You expect this from the next western, and the more westerns that you watch, the more that you form this idea of what you expect from westerns as like a genre. And the same thing can be said about any other thing. Your expectations you take into any series or movie will shape your experience right. with that um, in some it, way. It just comes down to volume then. Yeah, I guess like you could sheer do volume. that way. Yeah. <laughs> like, so I said, I, is, like I said, I appreciate the hell of this series. I think, especially for younger people, this is probably extremely important with the representation. It's really well done. The creative design the set dressing is just fantastic it's a very it's an extremely well done series um i do want to i do want to speak to that because there's a there's a lot in this series that went into representation accurate representation um and alice oseman especially since her first novel solitaire has been 
repeatedly praised for her stories being incredibly relatable. Uh, do you think that applies to Heartstopper? And which parts do you think spoke most to your, like, inner teenagers? Yeah, I do think it's incredibly relatable. Um, I want to go back to a previous point. Uh, I avoided watching this series, even though I've seen it five times now. I avoided watching it at first because it came out around the same time as uh, The Gay Pirate Show, which... Yes, our flag means means death. death. (laughs) Yes, I will always call it the Gay Pirate Show, and I fell super hard into that fandom, so I didn't watch Heartstopper at the time, because I read reviews of Heartstopper is for Gen Z high school teens, and our flag means death is for the millennial jaded trying to see that love can still (laughs) exist. And like... That review also rings very true for me, but it kept me from watching the series for a while uh, until Pride Month, and then I was like, okay, I have to watch it. And then I fell for this show very hard as well. Um, Speaking of representation, uh, I like both Nick and Elle as far as uh, representation as I see myself in both of them. formerly being a cis bi man until I came out and being a trans femme now. Um, like it felt the confusion over sexuality felt really true in Nick's part where oscillating between he's super straight. Okay. No, he knows he's gay now, but wait, he still likes girls. And then like, I don't know. It felt the, the journey felt natural and correct. And then just, we didn't see Elle's coming out story, which I actually really appreciate. We just saw the aftermath and her living her life as a uh, trans girl in a less than accepting community. And it felt really good to see her being so strong and joyous with her friend group and just being herself in spite of all of that. And... Yeah, I I do have to say one of the things that I appreciate most, and I had planned to set aside a lot of time to talk about this, but I do want to mention this now since we've brought it up a couple times. Elle's story in this this series is really well done. Um, They acknowledge that she's trans, but they never other her. You know what I mean? She's not, she's always portrayed as, like, just a regular high school girl, going to a regular high school girl's school, doing regular high school girl's things, falling in regular high school girl love, which I think is is really important to show. Um, And it's, they really, like, they missed out on all, like, the the trans angst, which I think is great. Absolutely. Because <laughs> Lord knows we've seen enough of it. <laughs> oh, so much. Like, honestly, she uh, was portrayed as being just honestly immediately accepted at uh, Higgs Girl School. Uh, you know, when she got there, like, all we saw of interactions with the other girls at the school was them commiserating about how boys are so awful and how they can be mean and cruel uh, to Which people. Which is true. Which, oh my god, is true. 
Like, the only hints of transphobia we got, which was acknowledged, was coming from the boys at Truam, which they were shown as being the more bigoted group all the way through. Although there was definitely lesbian uh, phobia going on at Higgs, which was interesting to see that there was more phobia towards the lesbians than uh, towards Elle for being trans, which... Yeah. Yeah. They aren't lesbians, they're roommates. (laughs) (laughs) They can't be roommates. They're just gals who are really good pals. (laughs) They're not old enough to be roommates. (laughs) Alright, I do Uh, want to circle back... I want to circle back to the relatability thing, and I want to get your answer on this, Nato. Uh, what about this story did you find the most relatable? Um, or did you find it relatable at all? I think I found relatability not from my own experience, but from like my friends group, if that makes sense. The friends group that Charlie has, and real quick, I really do enjoy that Charlie was already out, or at least like didn't have, you know, that traditional, you know, having to come out to your friends kind of thing, because they had already gotten past that part in the story. But Charlie's friends group, I found very relatable to my own friends group, like growing up. And you've, of course, met Mel and stuff. Yeah. Like, uh, the sort of, like, the personalities and the way that they worked off each other, I found very sort of um, nostalgic for, like, when I would sit around, like, on the um, on the quad tables and stuff with my friends. Yeah, um, as a drama and- kid, I personally found, like, the very, like, the outcast nerd part of the story immensely relatable yeah the only difference is that like my nerd group would like sits like in the alleyway and i'd watch people play Yu-Gi-Oh. because <laughs> <laughs> i've never played Yu-Gi-Oh, but i was fascinated by it yeah. yes i think i think we can all agree the most relatable part of this movie is that we all have one friend who thought that Donnie Darko was really deep and wanted to talk to you about it. At least it was an S. Darko. (laughs) It was surprising to see Donnie Darko referenced in what was ostensibly a Gen Z uh, generation uh, movie. I don't know how well they would relate to that. I've mentioned it to uh, Zoomers before, and they are like, Oh yeah, I heard about that. That's a classic. (laughs) <laughs> what are you talking about Toby Maguire is still alive it can't be a classic <laughs> Toby Maguire and his sister <laughs> <laughs> Toby Maguire and his sister Maggie Gyllenhaal <laughs> there's one more thing I want to circle back to and that is uh, by representation because in my experience it's awfully rare to see by representation in a movie or a series that isn't reduced down to um, either pick one or by people be horny. Mm-hmm. So uh, let's talk about Nick Nelson. <laughs> yeah, I would like to add into that. What's even more rare is seeing a bi man, you know, a bi- boy in this case, but you know, 
a AMAB person being represented as bi. Most of the time, when I see bi representation in media, that's even halfway decent, you know, it's a uh, femme person of some sort. Right, very like Katy Perry kissed a girl and she liked it, sort of bi representation. Or even, uh, what's the police drama? Um, Law and Order? No, the comedy Yes. Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Oh, Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Yeah. Yeah. There are too many police dramas. I know. That's why I'm like, comedy police drama. Wait, no, that doesn't narrow it down. (laughs) (laughs) I am really glad because, like, I'm really glad to see that we're past the phase where, like, we can explore different sexualities and characters because, like, I felt like the 90s... We're, we're mostly, like, if a character was going to be non-straight, uh, it was either going to be um, a lesbian woman who uh, might go by for the, like, you know, the quote-unquote quote, right guy, or, you know, just your typical, like, gay man. <coughs> and it's really nice... That we have, like, bi characters and pan characters that we get to actually see. Uh, and especially for, like, the younger generation, for them to experience. Because, you know, it's important that they find characters that they feel are representative of, the, of themselves. Yeah, especially yeah. when they, you know, they've done a lot of polling lately of queer communities. And the vast majority of uh, people who identify as queer or LGBTQ plus uh, label their sexuality as multi-gender attraction of some sort. So seeing binary attraction being the main form of representation just doesn't reflect what reality is. Right. Especially when you look at modern day statistics and you realize that more and more people are opening up and coming out as queer. Um, it's more important now than ever, I would say, to have representation of all kinds. Um, for people to be able to see, um, themselves in media, so that when it comes time to start questioning yourself, you don't do what I did, and Nick Nelson did, and so many other people uh, have ended up doing, which is uh, taking an Am I Gay quiz on BuzzFeed. <laughs> <laughs> I also think there's a lot of normalization that I really like. Like, even when Nick comes out at the end, like, the girl, Marshmallow Head, I don't remember her name. Imogen, um, yeah. The, uh, one, the one who was crushing on him the whole first half. Yeah, she was just like, good for you. You know, it wasn't like, I'm going to get revenge, which is like, you know, what was expected. It's like, good for you. You know, clap, yeah. clap, golf clap. Yeah, I was Bottle so clap. nervous the first half through that she was going to end up being like some antagonistic sort of character like Ben was uh, and end up being mean to uh, Nick after the revelation. But she was just like awkward in her allyship but genuine and that's really good to see as well like people struggling to be supportive but 
learning and hearing how to do it better. Especially when you consider the fact that Imogen was an original character who wasn't included in the graphic novel, who was added to the series for that purpose. Um, to They could have easily gone the role of, like... You know that energy she has when she's confronting Tara in the cafeteria, where she's like, you know, I don't have a problem with you being lesbian. I'm an ally. Yes, right? that's exactly she what could I was have, talking She could have about. carried that energy throughout the whole series, mm-hmm. and we could have roasted them for that. But the fact that they had that scene... I think in episode, what, four or five, when Nick says, look, I I see you as a friend, but this is how I feel. And the fact that she was able to take that on board and find something relatable in those feelings and say, all right, I understand. I release you into the world. Go be who you are. That is good character growth. And good character writing. And you cannot change my mind. <laughs> <laughs> but what if I told you it was bad? <laughs> what? <laughs> what? <laughs> Would that change your mind? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> well, I had to try. There, there's my attempt. All right. Um. <laughs> all right. On the topic of bisexual representation, uh, and I promise you this is related to the discussion at hand. Pirates of the Caribbean. <laughs> okay. Oh yes. Uh-huh. I should so, I should I should I should put a tag here. I've seen the last twenty minutes of the third movie. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Alright. Crave, do you think Pirates <laughs> of the Caribbean is bisexual representation? It's definitely a movie that is on the bisexual awakening list. Um, like, yeah, uh, Orlando Bloom and Kira Knightley together as a couple in that movie is just like, I don't know who among them I want to date. Both of them? Yes. And... <laughs> <laughs> I think Orlando Bloom was definitely instrumental to uh, my sexual awakening. Um, I got a Legolas poster (laughs) once with the excuse, it's for my sister, it's for Christmas. (laughs) And then I just, like, hid it away in my closet and never gave it to her. Oh, yeah. And even if they're ostensibly a straight couple, like, that relationship is super queer. Like, they're not following heteronormative norms for how there is no reason for two such attractive people to be in a relationship if it were not for the explicit purpose of pissing bisexuals off (laughs) yeah i saw davy jones and i was just like i'm in that's that's what i'm into (laughs) that's his name right a knuckle guy yes yes i got it i got one You're doing great, Mado. Woohoo! So that's why All they right. call you the deep one? That's <laughs> uh, one of the three reasons. To find out the other two, you'll have to listen to the previous episodes. <laughs> but 
yeah, I think it was I think it was amazing for them to use Pirates of the Caribbean as like an indicator of Nick's sexual awakening, especially since like it's such like a relatable like it's so relatable for anybody who is bisexual who has watched that movie or a movie like that and just had so many questions. <laughs> Yeah, he's a little too young for the mummy to have been his bisexual awakening, but oh, that's another good one. Yeah, that's a that's a good one. That's a good one. We're gonna circle back around to that after we finish recording. <laughs> <laughs> All right. On a on a different note, um, I want to bring up the fact that Alice Oseman and the casting directors made a concerted effort to stay away from the normal Hollywood practice of casting, like, handsome 20-somethings as their teenage leads. So, the whole series has, like, an actual high school feel to it, and it makes the whole... It makes the series as a whole feel younger. Um... And I want to know. I want to know your thoughts on this. Um, how it impacted your viewing experience? How dare they disrespect Power Rangers like this? <laughs> <laughs> what happened to the fine tradition of Buffy, where the background extras are balding? <laughs> I'm so mad at Buffy. By the way, Joss Whedon stole the best band name ever. And I'm sure I've talked about this on the podcast before, but Joss Whedon named a fictional band Dingo's Ate My Baby, therefore Mm -hmm. excluding anybody in the real world from ever naming their band Dingo's Ate My Baby. And I am pissed. Just put a question mark at the ends. Dingo's Ate My Baby? Baby? (laughs) There you go. There. Yeah, and we have to say fuck Joss Whedon. What a terrible, terrible human being. Um, when John Waters was making Hairspray, uh, they also did like um, a call for more uh, youthful-looking people, and they kind of like balanced that out by having like Debbie Harry and Sonny Bono and a bunch of other people like as like the parents to kind of like bring in the people since they were a bunch of unknowns, and like so like Ricky Lake was pretty young when uh she was cast and i think the same thing can be said i think the the energy that they bring is significantly different than someone who's been beaten down and is in their 20s and is like "Ah, i guess i could eat ramen tonight versus like you know someone who is like oh i wonder what my parents are making for dinner tonight kind of thing right i think there's there's a big difference when you cast teenagers to tell an awkward teenage love story, right? Because, um, and, and I hate that we have to keep bringing this up on the podcast, but Glee. Uh, Glee, for example, um, famously casted, like, people in their mid to late 20s as high school students to tell these awkward teenage romance stories and it just it feels too performative right i think if you really want to get the awkwardness 
of a teenage love and what it means for teenagers to be exploring that space, you really got to put teenagers in there to explore that space. I mean, it probably didn't hurt that Leah Michelle couldn't read. <laughs> <laughs> she was acting her ass off, though. <laughs> no, but I, I, I agree. Like, I think there's something to be said for casting around, like, the same age um, for the characters. So it's a more accurate portrayal because, like, we don't need... This is going to be the most obscure thing that I can say. We don't need a Clifford, which was the Martin Short movie where he pretended to be a teenage boy or a young boy uh, for the entire movie. We don't. We don't need that again. Mm-mm. Right. And along those same lines, uh, how do you think Heartstopper did in trying to reach its target audience? Because it was originally picked up by Netflix's. Uh, kid and family content division. Do you think that this is kid and family content? Yes. Yes, I do. And I have... I heard about it from the Zoomers in my life for a long time before I started watching it this June. I've heard nothing but praise. So, I don't know. Just looking online, I think it has hit a wider audience than anyone ever dreamed of, and I think that's really great. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It's it's really times like this when I wish that we had, like, at least a little bit of a Zoomer presence on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Are you a Zoomer? Do you like talking about movies that were made before your time? Send us an email. We have a fa- we have a, the Facebook. Are you into uh, classic <laughs> gay movies? <laughs> Please, Zoomers, come be with us on the podcast. We desperately need someone to help us branch out onto TikTok. Just make sure you have your parents' permission. <laughs> oh, I didn't say. You can find me on TikTok at NBNear. <laughs> Great. I will, I will edit that together. We'll just, we'll just put that in somewhere. I'll put it I mean, in you could leave it right here and make it as awkward as it was. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, like, uh, I think, I think the fact that this has such an amazing reach and resonates with so many people, uh, it seems like this is sort of network wise, like the biggest queer series, um, of like our lifetime. Oh, for sure, for sure. Um, and I think this is probably the right time for a series like this to come out. I oh, think yeah. It would have been so problematic to try and get a series like this made. Even, even in the 2010s, because there's still this idea that queer stories are inherently adult because queer identities are inherently sexual. Yeah, and I think it's so vitally important that it came out at this moment because we have the greater general populace acceptance in the, you know, English-speaking world for 
queer people, but we've got the start of a major uh, backlash against homophobia, and they're not just making the trans are unsafe for children attacks, they're already making the gays are unsafe for children attacks again now, too. So, like, having such a wholesome... And, like, the entire queer representation in it is so just saccharine, sweet, and wholesome. Like, I just think that's vitally important to right. be out there right it's, now. It's kind of a testament about how far we've come. Because, you know, in the 70s, there was the whole thing about uh, queer people can't be teachers because they'll indoctrinate your children. And now we have a story where we have not just queer teens telling their love story, but we have queer teens that have queer teachers. Mm-hmm. And queer rugby coaches. And just showing, like, how uh, those teachers are so good and important and, like, caring to their students. Yes, and it's so beneficial to have people like that there because... Queer teens need people like that in their lives to be able to mm -hmm. answer questions. Important mm -hmm. questions, like, how do I stop crushing on straight guys? Oh, yeah. I wish somebody that had given me that so answer when good. I was in high school. I yes. wish somebody had given me that answer when I was in high school because I still do not know the answer to that question. Valium. <laughs> <laughs> the answer is Valium. Uh, and the way that... <laughs> The way the queer teacher was like, oh, teenagers, when uh, Charlie was like, no, not that boy. I broke up with him. This is a new boy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, gotta, gotta love uh, teenage relationships that last all of, like, three weeks. <laughs> <laughs> and it's and the spin. whole entire universe that they exist in for those three weeks and everyone around them hears all of the drama. Right. I appreciate that, like, in most schools, there is no one, not even a teacher in the library. That's very realistic. Mm -hmm. From my experience. <laughs> um... I'd love to um, I'd love to continue this conversation by bringing up a topic that we've talked about before on this podcast, but oh, no. I think it's especially important to bring back up in the context of this show because this show, Heartstopper, at its core, especially during the first season, is really about coming out and how. Um, and I know I've said this before on this podcast, that coming out is a deeply personal experience that is different for everybody. And I think one of the great things about the show is that they have the opportunity to tell multiple coming out stories. Mm -hmm. to, to really hammer in the idea that it really is different for everybody. That coming out is not a universal experience. Yeah, like, every single one of the queer characters has some sort... Well, every single one of the queer teenagers has some sort of uh, coming out story that is expressed in this season, whether it's backstory for uh, Tara 
and Charlie, or if it's more in the front for Nick and, uh, I'm forgetting her name. Damn it. But you know who I'm talking no, not L. Sorry, L is in the background, and then of the lesbian couple, one of them is already established, and the other one... You're talking about Taryn Darcy. Yeah, sorry, Darcy's already established as lesbian, and Tara comes out really socially at the birthday party. Yeah. Tara's the um, terrible one, right? <laughs> um... Yeah, I think it's really it's really interesting that they talk about, you know, we didn't really make a decision to come out to everybody. We just decided to stop hiding it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if people notice, then they notice. And what I find really interesting that they didn't really go in depth into in the webcomic, because the webcomic is really kind of zeroed in on Nick and Charlie specifically, I'm really glad that they took the opportunity to um, explore the consequences of what it means to come out socially mm-hmm. when, you're, when you're in a relationship. And what does it do to your relationship? And what does it do to you personally? And how do you cope? Right? Yeah, and the way where, like, you can feel very comfortable in the relationship uh, to the point that you're ready to come out, but then the social ramifications of the rumor mill that went around about uh, Tara afterwards and having to face the reality of the microaggressions that happen constantly day-to-day to people who are out uh, really not only affected her personally, but affected her relationship with Darcy. Yeah, that's that's so true. It, it did end up putting a strain on their relationship because um, I think... Tara may not have admitted so out loud, but, you know, was she really ready for that kind of public scrutiny, you know? Like, she, like you may think that you're ready to come out, but until you do, you really don't know how the people around you are going to handle it. Mm-hmm. And that's why so many people come out more slowly, like the way Nick is portrayed at the end of coming out to people close, but not quite so openly, uh, so broadly. Yeah. Um, I think there's a really great line somewhere in the series, and I can't, I didn't write it down, so I can't quote it exactly. But it's something along the lines of uh, coming out is not something that you do just once. It's Mm -hmm. something that you do over and over and over again for the rest of your life. And that's so, so, so true. Just, like, every new person, like, in our culture, you know, you're assumed cis, you're assumed straight. So... At some point, if you're going to be your true self to a new person in your life, you have to come out to them. Right. 
And Nato, I'd love to talk with the to you about this because I know you were here for this episode. Um, I'd love to do like a quick little comparison with you between uh, Charlie's coming out story, uh, being outed to the school the way he was um, before the series started, and um, Love Simon, a movie that is. Uh, Fairly notorious <laughs> for how it handled its um, coming out. Um, what do you that, what do you think are the main parallels there, and what do you think that like Heartstopper did that Love Simon could have okay, learned from? To, <laughs> it's because like Love Simon's outing right was sort of a liar's reveal or like an extension of that from what I remember because it was a forced outing uh, but he was also kind of like lying about it <laughs> um, and all of the all, all the outings that I remember from this series are very nuanced very naturalistic and subtle um, like there wasn't like a huge besides like sort of like I guess kind of the end, uh, like this huge sort of like event coming outing, like they made a point to point out that um, like uh, two lesbians didn't want to, you know, make an official declaration. They just want everyone to know, which is why they made out of the party, right? And um, I I I think Love Simon just could not learn anything from this because it's wholly a different movie with a different meaning for coming out. Uh, there, There's plenty of ways to come out, you know? And I think that's one of the wonderful things about this series is it shows so right. many different it, ways it to takes, come out. and takes um, a level of introspection. Right. You really have to, like, dig down. It It's... A journey of who am I? Mm-hmm. How do I feel? Absolutely. Like who do I love? It's very, it's very personal, you know, and it requires, I think, a lot of meditation. Absolutely. To some people, of course, it's really obvious, but you know, um, Again, I have to reiterate that everybody's experience with coming out is different. Mm-hmm. And I would I would just like to say to the audience, as a reminder, um, it's something I've said um, over and over on this show. Um, it is okay to take your time when you're coming out. If you feel like you are not safe to come out, it is okay to stay in the closet until you feel safe. Your personal safety should always take precedence over your self-expression. The only people that it is all right to publicly out are politicians who are actively voting against the rights of people that they secretly are. True. True. This like, is an Lindsey Graham podcast. is yes. on Grinder right now, searching for young boys. Lindsey Graham, if you're listening or, to this podcast, no, no we don't see listen, you, Lindsey Graham. You're banned. Go away. We see you, bitch. 
or if you want to come out for because you're very bitter, bitter and cynical and angry, and you just want to f- screw over people, come out that way too. Who are we to tell you how to come out? You know, there's so <laughs> many ways to come out. Um. <laughs> All right. I think before we burn wrap the bridges. Up, before we wrap up, I want to talk a bit about the critical reception for Heartstopper. Um, it has already been picked up for two more seasons on Netflix. Uh, season two and season three have already been greenlit. Uh, season two is going to be amazing, by the way. They've already hinted at uh, the beginnings of some storylines in season two, which I'm really excited to see play out. Um, it has a certified fresh rating on Rotten Tomatoes. certified fresh with an average rating of about 8.5 out of 10. And after it came out, it hit the Netflix top 10 in 54 different countries. Which is like, wow. (laughs) I didn't know gay people were even allowed in 54 different countries. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's a thing that, you know, people here in the West don't always quite uh, recognize. It's like queer acceptance thanks to colonialism is not uh, where we're at in a lot of the colonized world. White people did something right. <laughs> no. It's, we're colonizing we queer people! Because they were accepting beforehand and we're finally getting past it but they're still dealing with our baggage. <laughs> um, along the lines of future seasons, what storylines are you most excited to see continued in in future seasons? Uh, Tao and Elle's relationship. I'm so excited to see where that goes. Like, Tao's oh. not my favorite character just from the storyline that he had, but I get a sense... That uh, other than those extenuating circumstances, which were at the front this season, that he's a really loving and kind uh, person at his core. He's just super, super, super protective of the people he considers to be his people. For better and for worse. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that Tao had to witness um, Charlie's outing. Um, and, and I think L. they, they, they hinted at this in season one, but it is heavily implied in the web comic and the graphic novel that Tao is more or less directly responsible for Charlie being outed to the school. Oh, um, I didn't know that. I could see that though with his character. Yeah, he he has kind of loose lips, and it's implied that somebody had overheard him uh, talking about Charlie's sexuality to one of his friends, and had spread, and that person had spread the rumor. Um, and it's kind of it's kind of introduced as like a throwaway line, but in the web comic, it's more directly stated that the reason that Charlie didn't reveal their relation his relationship with Nick earlier to Tao is because he was afraid that Tao would indirectly be involved in outing Nick 
and he was very protective of Nick in that way. So, I think Tao being protective of his friends is under understandable. Um, I think he's he's very trying to like hold on to the friendship that he has. Right. Um, Nato, what do you what do you think? Are there are there any storylines that you think? could use some wrapping up or some uh, some more elucidation in further seasons? Um, like I said, I very much appreciate this series. It is, I don't think it's a series for me, so I th- don't think I'd watch any further seasons. <laughs> Until we do the series again on the podcast and make you watch season two. <laughs> I'm not gonna say yeah. we aren't gonna do oh, season right. two, Time to but wrap. <laughs> I, I will say that like I am probably not gonna be on this season two episode. I'd rather have someone that's really impacted by this series than someone who just goes, "I appreciate this series. I can see the strengths. Here are the strengths." It's definitely no, a different feeling from the movies that I've heard y'all review since the last time I was on. <laughs> <laughs> that's a fair point. But, um, I will say in my defense, like, I do intentionally, like, try and space out the popular series, because they're going to be popular, like, whether or not we discuss them. But we also haven't gotten to other series like Queer as Folk, Noah's Ark, Will and Grace, The L Word, The Lair, Dante's Cove. There are so many gay TV shows that are equally as important as this that we probably should go ahead and cover, you know? Because shows like Queer as Folk hit a lot different for teenage NATO than it did for, you know, adult Absolutely, NATO. that goes right into the criticism, uh, or critique I heard of it uh, when I first heard the show, of this is a show for uh, optimistic, the world is our oyster uh, young teens, versus what was coming out at the same time, our flag means death is more of a jaded queer love story. Right, and you yeah. also have the other two, which has a bisexual lead, played by Drew Tarver. Uh, if you go back a little ways, you get, like, Now Apocalypse. Like, oh my gosh, like, the aesthetic of that, and, like, just the look of it. Like, I, I, I love series that just have, like, you know... Love the aesthetics and looks. Yeah, we didn't, we didn't yeah. really get much into that, but this series is actually kind of Absolutely. aesthetically beautiful. Um, very kind of so like gel, gelled washes and the lighting, um, like animated hearts and butterflies and leaves and like little sparks when their hands touch. And the way um, they animate, uh, Charlie's doubt, uh, throughout the series of just oh, that yeah. zooming in pencil scratch grayscale. Absolutely. So perfect. Mm-hmm. Or, like, literally a representation of his self-worth shattering, and then cutting to him looking into the mirror in his room, which is very fittingly kind of broken up into but different it, sections. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah, th- there was a lot of thought that went into the art direction, and I think the animated sequences are also very reminiscent of the webcomic, because the webcomic mm-hmm. is very noted in its use of white space around the panels and um, notably has leaves and stuff that blow through the blank spaces around the panels. So it's a nice way to call back to 
the um, callback to the webcomic in, in a very kind of like tip of the hat way. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I started reading the uh, webcomic today, and that really felt like something that was drawing me in of that art style semblance between the two of the leaves going through the background of the shot. <laughs> All right, before we move on to opinions, I want to give a shout out to the big gay soundtrack of this movie which is available, by the way, as a playlist on Spotify. Uh, it has actually some of my favorite queer indie artists on it, and if you're looking for a good listen, I would definitely recommend. Um, also, a shout-out shout to Alice Oseman's first novel, Solitaire, which is actually about Charlie's older sister, Tori. Uh, Tara? Tori. Tori. There's a Tara and a Tori, and they get mixed up in my head. The older um, sister Char- is so good. Oh my god. <laughs> she is so good. And if if you want to know more about her, and by extension, Charlie and Nick, who are also characters in the novel, uh, please go check it out. Uh, Solitaire, This Is Not a Love Story, um, by Alice Oseman. So, <laughs> let's wrap things up. Uh, I feel like I already know the na- uh, answer to this question, but NATO, <laughs> does Heartstopper give you butterflies or just a big pile of animated leaves that you need to rake up? <laughs> I guess it just really depends on if you think tweening is real animation or not. <laughs> does, does it break the Geneva Convention to not draw two more frames of leaves? But but I really mean this. Like I really appreciate this series because I can see how important it would be for a lot of people to see this. NATO is allergic to fluff. <laughs> Note to self, leave this joke falling on his face during the editing process. Uh, but what I really right. want to say... In... Does Heartstopper make you want to stock up on anti-homophobia cheese for throwing at homophobes... Or does it make you want to sit at home in the corner eating anti-homophobia cheese? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, the answer would always be throwing it at homophobes to start with, but this series was amazing. I loved it so much. I was not prepared for how incredibly saccharine sweet and wholesome it was when I watched it the first time. I just, I needed this in my life, and I didn't know I think know that's I a very well put answer. Uh, that's what we think, but if you've seen this series or end up watching it later and want to share with us your thoughts, feelings, and concerns, you can do just that on Twitter at GayEchapod. That's G A Y. E-C-A-P-O-D. And while you're at it, why not leave us a suggestion for a movie or series to watch in the future? We are always looking for new suggestions, and we can't wait to experience more media with you. I'm Ro, here to remind you that nobody knows the rules to rugby, and if you think you know the rules of rugby, then you play (laughs) rugby. Goodbye! (laughs) 